0: I suppose the only stereotype I would have had in my head is they were probably a bit geeky or dorky.
1: And you were right.
0: (laughs) No, not really. Not really. because I don't think scientists really fit to any stereotypes.
1: In this episode of My Significant Scientist, James speaks with his scientist Heidi about researching birds and writing children's books about her research.
0: My name is James Lloyd, and I'm a nurse unit manager. I've been a nurse since 1989, I believe.
1: And my name is Dr. Heidi Ahman. I've been a zoologist for most of the past 25 years, focusing mainly on human impacts on seabirds, like contaminants, plastics ingestion, and things like that. The, the nice thing about James is his—he's a registered nurse, and so he's basically an applied biologist. So I can talk about stable isotopes and biochemistry and health as it relates to a bird, and he actually understands what I'm talking about. So, yeah, yeah, he's—he's yeah, he's a, he's a human biologist in a way.
0: But in, in general, I understand. Like, I never really understood statistics before I met you. So I never really understood what a p-value means, but, but I now do understand what a p-value means. So,
1: But you already have an analytical sort of brain, so yeah. I really don't have to teach you much.
0: There's not much Heidi does that I don't understand, which is cool. A scientist has to be precise about things and measurements, so she's very precise about things around the house and how things should be and... And, you know, if something is out of place or a cupboard door is slightly ajar, (laughs) then that's out of the norm, so it's got to be fixed.
1: I resemble that comment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Heidi has a very outdoorsy style of dressing, and so (laughs) often what she wears at home is what she would wear out in the field. Um, I would say she probably didn't act like a scientist at home, except she can be very um, precise and OCD about things around the house. (laughs) Do you have any field experiences?
1: I've got tons, but I can't think of them now.
0: Well, I can relate to one story that um, occurred while Heidi was out in the field. It's um, when Heidi and I went to Midway Atoll, in 2007 for a five-week volunteer stint. And we were walking around the island, and at the time we were pulling... um,
1: It's an invasive weed called verbicina.
0: Uh, Verbicina. And we were sort of walking around the dunes, and we saw this albatross chick, because the island's full of half a million, million albatrosses. Chicks, I think most chicks or albatross chicks have this thing called nest tenacity. Is that mm. right?
1: sight tenacity. Sight
0: tenacity. Where basically, if you pick them up and move them off the nest and put them somewhere else, they'll, they'll walk straight back to that nest because that's where they get fed, and that's what they do, so anyway. So a chick will stay on its nest no matter what happens. So we're walking along these these dunes, and we see this chick, and or we see this little head poking out of the sand, and this little beaky thing. Going, wah, wah, wah. It was just his head, and what had happened is it had been really windy, so the sand had blown around it, and it essentially had covered up the whole chicken, its body, and all. There was was his little neck and his head, just sort of looking around. So,
1: but it looked like a detached head snapping away at us. Yes. It was sort of an eerie looking and, and thing.
0: It was it was really quite funny, and so anyway, we came along and we actually dug it out of its hole and then put it back on the same spot. And interestingly, it was really hot, so it's probably the, the chick, probably. First thing
1: it did was having a good poo, and then its parent came up and gave it a good
0: feed, so it was probably starving. Because I'd never been out with a scientist before, I suppose the only stereotype I would have had in my head is they were probably a bit geeky or dorky.
1: And you were so, right.
0: <laughs> no, not really. Not really. And, and I suppose I had, I had that, maybe I had that stereotype in my head, but you know, ever since meeting Heidi and and getting married and meeting all her scientific friends really in the end her scientific friends really have the same range of personalities and people and how people dress and do and act and political views and the rest of society really so I don't think if there are stereotypes out there that's something you know the media has invented I don't think scientists really fit to any stereotypes I don't think they do Hobbies are really about what makes Heidi happy and what relaxes her.
1: But also, on the other hand, what invigorates me, like taiko drumming invigorates me, riding horses invigorates me, and I've got a black belt in in taekwondo, and I I think there's probably a warrior woman inside me, the Xena aspect that needs to be expressed as well. So activities that ramp me up and then activities that calm me down. I've written a lot of scientific articles and gotten them published in peer-reviewed journals, and that's all necessary and expected. But the thing is, I realized that my conservation message wasn't getting across to the the group of people who needed to hear it most, which is children. So only other academics are going to read my papers. So I'm really lucky in that my favorite research subject, which is plastic ingestion in seabirds, lends itself really well to a children's book, because you've got charismatic megafauna. You know, I can talk about albatross and seals and turtles and whales and something that children can see from pictures. You know, oh, no, the whale's tangled in a ghost net. Oh, no, the turtle's got a plastic bag in its mouth, Um, things like that. It it lends itself really well to a children's book. So I thought, well, I'm probably the best, best person to do it because... I'm probably one of the world experts. The the trick is to translate the boring, dry scientific jargon into a message that children can understand and appreciate. So I've been carrying the seed of that book for a long time and it was um kind of a, a, a scary journey and I didn't tell anybody about it for a long time except for James because I think one critical word or one raised eyebrow or one misguided question would have crushed the dream for me. But um, the book is out now, and I've gotten really good reviews so far, so I reckon it's probably the most important thing I'll ever write.
0: So, you know, are there any similarities between being a scientist and a science communicator? I don't think there is any difference between a scientist and a science communicator in general, but I think scientists have n- are really not good... Um, communicators in, in the world and I think if, if we go back to about stereotypes about scientists probably one stereotype that, that they do live by is they are very much focused on their research and writing papers and putting papers out and not sort of conveying that re- research to the world whereas a science communicator ha- has taken that step forward the next step which is I think what Heidi has done is she's taken the science background and now is communicating that to the world and I think in science, it's one of the big challenges in science is for scientists to start communicating what they have to the world and, and not be afraid to um, communicate that and not be afraid of criticism. It's probably one of the most important things that scientists can do, really, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with most of that. I think, in theory, there's not much difference between a scientist and a science communicator. But I think scientists do need to try to become better communicators because what they're doing is so incredibly important and I don't think they're getting enough uh, attention I
0: agree and you know when when you get people in the world who turn inside science, science communicators they end up being great science communicators so if you look at someone like Brian Cox
1: or you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson
0: um, if you look at David Attenborough even though David is not technically a scientist he's a naturalist but you could see him as a scientist and a communicator there's dr. Carl in Australia. Who's a great science communicator? Mm-hmm. Um, there's who, who else? I, I suppose you could call Jane Goodall a good um, scientist. Mm-hmm. And
1: but again, they're few and far between. And I, I understand it is very difficult to talk about certain topics. I mean, if you're dealing with very abstract concepts, that's pretty tough to sell. Um, whereas if you're talking about, you know, plastics and seabirds like I am, or chimpanzees like jane goodall that it's a bit of an easier sell so
0: well, you know if you look at um paleontology where you know scientists go out and they find a new dinosaur people go wow fantastic isn't that amazing we know more about what happened a couple hundred million years ago but there's some fields of science where it, you, you hear nothing about it. you hear nothing about the discoveries the possibilities. Out there, And I I think, you know, it's almost like, you know, for every 10 scientists, they almost need like one media person attached to them.
1: Mm -hmm. That reminds me of of something. I was um, a member of an an online, I don't know what you call it, a chat group or something like that, but it was made up mainly of people with no university education, very blue-collar training, and they were tending to be very, very anti-scientist and very anti-science. And they were making comments that actually hurt me quite deeply because they were saying scientists should not be passionate. And they strongly distrust scientists who are passionate because to them, being passionate about something implies bias. And so any scientist who was very passionate was very biased and therefore couldn't be trusted. And that just, it actually broke my heart. And I didn't even know how to respond to that because it was wrong. But how do we get through to people like this? I think Passion is one of the most important things you can have as a scientist, and it does not mean bias at all. It means we're passionate about finding answers, and we're passionate about asking questions and pursuing the the truths behind them. And if there is any inherent bias, it would certainly get caught out in peer review. So, I don't know. I guess it really depressed me hearing this off the the Uh Internet chat group. Okay, I'm getting off my soapbox on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. You're being passionate about things, which is really good, I think.
1: I don't think we really have much more to say, so um, thanks very much for the
0: opportunity. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks to James and Heidi for sharing their conversation from September 2014 in Tasmania, Australia. You can find a link to Heidi's book, Garbage Guts, on the My Significant Scientist website. What's your favorite popular science book? Tell us on Facebook or Twitter.